0: Loading Erica's podcast.
1: Five, four, three, two, one.
0: Live from New York City, it's the Erica Finn Show. And your host, who gets up close and personal with celebrities from the stage and beyond, Erica Finn. Hi, everyone. Welcome to tonight's
1: show. It's going to be a really fun one because I am here with one of the stars of Broadway's Hand to God, Mark Kudish. Mark made his Broadway debut as Ruben and Joseph in Joseph technic- in the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat and followed that up by starring as Gaston in Beauty and the Beast. He has since starred in 11 musicals, eight of which have been original productions, including The Starlet Pimpernel, Thoroughly Modern Millie, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, and 9 to 5, and has garnered three Tony nominations. You can currently find him starring in the role of Pastor Greg in Broadway's Hand to God at Booth Theater. Mark, welcome.
0: Thank you. Good morning, or good evening, as it is. Again, when you're in the theater, you never know what time it is.
1: <laughs> welcome to the show. Um, I was doing some research on you, and tell okay. me this is true, but I saw that in okay. college you studied poli Is that correct?
0: Yep, I was. Yep, I was a political science major.
1: Were you interested in going Um, to politics at that
0: time? Yeah, my father was a lobbyist for uh, the largest um, business lobbying pool in the state of Florida at the time. And uh, he uh, had very close relationships with the governor and the senators, and um, I had a real fascination with politics. Um, I still do. And I wanted to be um, (laughs) – Uh, a lobbyist. I wanted to be a lobbyist. Uh, I wanted to go into corporate law and become a lobbyist. Um, but, Sounds you so know, interesting. Well, it was to me back then. Uh, politics were different mm-hmm. back then. Um, but I was in a political theory class. I remember I was in the middle of a political theory class, and um, my professor, one of my favorite professors, um, literally, you know, the, one of the first statements that we got in political theory is all politics, are based on failure. How long will this program run until it ultimately breaks down? Because it will. And I just thought, that's the ideology that you're going to base a career on. I just don't know that I can do that. Oh. Um And, you know, at 3 in the morning when I should have been studying for, you know, a political exam, I was building a set. So there you go. I just switched my major over, I want to say, at the end of my sophomore year. Um. But I still I follow it, I love it, it's important, um, and it's going to be a very interesting two thousand sixteen. But uh back in the day when I was going around with my father, uh the then governor of the state of Florida, Bob Graham, uh, was an amazing Governor and again Republican But I didn't care because I thought he was Such a good guy and I thought he was So good at his job So you know Up until I want to say Bush won in 2000 I was independent And that's when I became a Democrat because Everything had just so shifted That even moderate Republicans By that point were essentially Democrats Um so, I am now a Democrat, yeah, as I figured, I think most most theater people are, <laughs> yeah, but a lot of theater people aren't you know really? a lot of theater people are republican, it's really interesting when you get into the details of people's particular uh be it um spiritual and or lifestyle beliefs. I think everybody thinks if you're an actor, then you're automatically someone who's a Democrat. Not necessarily, you know, and you got to be careful with some of your friends because you don't want to disrespect them.
1: That's good to know. That's actually, I didn't, yeah, everyone I know has been, but that's interesting. Very interesting. I know. Um,
0: it's, it is. It's It's very interesting. But again, I think a lot of those people are, are more uh, obviously moderate. You know, that's the hard end of politics today. You know, it's become so black and white and it's that's really not the case with the way that people think, because in a lot of ways, I'm a very conservative person and have very conservative tastes and or ideologies. I mean, I'm a Democrat because, you know, look, I believe in choice and I believe in equal rights. If I'm conservative in some ways, well, that's my right. If someone wants to be a liberal, that's their right. And that's why I'm a Democrat. <laughs> Just because I could be the most Republican person in the room, but you've got to give equal right to everyone, and unfortunately, it doesn't seem like the Republican platform really stands for that. Which is well, maybe we'll see a platform
1: stage. for you 2020, 2020, well, 2024, sh- Who knows? I don't know. <laughs>
0: I don't know. You know, I'm I'm in the theater. That's already you know, one big one against me when it comes to running for office.
1: <laughs> now, on the complete opposite side of the spectrum, I want to talk about Disney for a second. Because you were guest on, as I mentioned, in the interim Beauty and the Beast. What's yeah. it like being in a Disney musical? I mean, the costumes, the set design. I mean, Disney's just such an entity.
0: What was that like? I I loved it. I had a really good time. Mm-hmm. Now, this is Disney's first show. So everybody was figuring stuff out, you know? Um, the community wasn't necessarily the most inviting to Disney when they came in. And that's understandable because Disney basically, you know, they're a corporation. And they do their stuff the way they've done it for years. And they're very good at it and very successful at it. Um, but I really enjoyed working for them tremendously because I thought that there was a lot of respect Um I remember I've got Disney stock because back then they actually offered that that was a part of like what I was able to get when I negotiated my contract that some of my salary oh, could be converted to stock yeah and um the costumes were amazing uh, obviously Beauty and the Beast was a beautiful show and again it's amazing when you think about it back then what was that 1990 well, I went in in 95 it opened in 94 and I think Back then, people were like, mm, we don't know about this style of show. And today, of course, I think it's considered a standard classic. Um, beautiful. I thought that storytelling was gorgeous. Um, set design was amazing. Great cast. And Disney knows, in my opinion, I just think they run a very tight ship. So I loved it. I had a ball. It's the longest run I've ever done on Broadway. I was there for... Oh, how
1: many years were you in it?
0: Two and a half years. Um, I, and they were great to me because I would take leads to go maybe do a film here or a film there. Or, and in my, like my last time that I was there, I actually um, left to go work on a show that um, was coming in. And I ultimately left Beauty and the Beast 4. Um, so they were really good with me, and I had a great working relationship with them.
1: You were also in the musical 9 to 5, for which Dolly Parton wrote the music and the lyrics. Did you get a chance to meet her? (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) She was there every day. Um, I love Dolly Parton. I mean, I really love Dolly Parton. Um, Everybody should get five minutes, just five minutes a day with Dolly. You'll feel so much better. Um, She's such a positive person, and she's fun, and... Surprisingly, surprisingly, um, I want to say, I want to say she's got a good edge on her. Like, she's got a good sense of humor. And she's, I don't know, a little blunt, which I really like. Um, but big hearted. When we were working on that show, she was there every day. When we were getting notes during previews, she was there every night taking notes. When it came time to work on things, and you have to understand, this is a woman who, like, you know, the year before had been put into the, you know, uh, the Kennedy Center Honors, uh, and she'd never collaborated before, like, actually written songs with other people, having a voice about it. She'd written songs for herself or written songs for other people, but she was in charge. And suddenly, she's got, like, you know, I want to say at least a dozen people that having some kind of judgment on what she's writing and that was a very new experience for someone who you kind of figure with everything you've accomplished in your life you don't need to do this but
1: she mm-hmm. could not
0: have been more she could not have been more game um she would she had this massive i mean you know instead of staying in the hotel she had this like great trailer that she had parked outside of the theater um and she would make us moon pies and she would like bake stuff you know, and come in daily with stuff. Um, and she worked really hard, and I enjoyed working with her um, and collaborating with her because it was also, I think, the first time she'd ever written for a man. So to All sit right. down with yeah. Dolly, yeah, and, you know, and to say, okay, so can we talk about this song? Can I give you the male point of view on this? And she gave me a lot of trust when it came to sitting down and discussing things like that. I love Dolly Park. Love Dolly. I mean, I got more stories about Dolly, but you know, that's probably for another time and <laughs> another time of day. I don't know. Um,
1: so, is that like, typical I, um, that that the composer sits down with the cast and goes through things like that? Give me a little yeah. insight into the process. Yeah.
0: Look, um, in my opinion when the process is ideal, it is very collaborative, you know. But the thing that makes the theater unique, um, especially from television and film, um, is that it, it happens presently. It all happens in the same moment. You don't get to go back and do test groups, essentially, of a finished product and then reshape that finished product later, you know. You don't get to reshape the story in a cutting room it has to happen in the moment together and everyone's jobs will always overlap a little bit there's no way that they can't so where does the the writer begin and end where does the director begin and end where does the composer lyricist begin and end and where do the actors begin and end we all come together and fold over on each other and that takes collaboration and this literally takes a village literally takes a village To have a conversation every night with an audience and tell a story. That means that you have to have dozens of people on the same page at the same time every night. That's the process. And so, yeah, composed. I would think one
1: beautiful side effect of that is everyone feeling like a family. Maybe a dysfunctional family sometimes, who knows, but a family at the end of it because you've all gotten so close during the
0: process. Well, absolutely, but think about what you just said. Dysfunctional family, of course, it's a dysfunctional family, but that's what makes a functional family. All of us carry our <laughs> dysfunctions. There's no way we can't. We're human. But to come together and to... Have and accept each other's dysfunctions while still listening. And that's how you collaborate.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: You know, look, in our business, a lot of people think, oh, dysfunctions, those are your weaknesses. No, they're not. They're your strengths. And in our business, especially of the theater, the weaknesses of humanity are our strengths. There's no other reason for an audience to sit in a big theater with a thousand other people Watching people like play costume on a stage, if there's not ideas that we want to share about our dysfunctionality, like there's no exactly. reason to go mm-hmm. to the theater, right? So functionality is accepting functionality of our families.
1: And, and speaking of that, let's let's talk about your current show, Hand to God. Uh, tell me a yes. little what the what the production's about.
0: Well, I mean, you know, talk about this functionality, one, just in uh-huh. terms of expressing of a story, but it's also one of the best function functionalities <laughs> uh, in, in a uh, process that I've ever had. I mean, it's an amazing cast. We are a family. Uh, you know, we all did this as well at the MCC, this particular cast last year at the MCC. We had a very successful run. We all came back together again. There was more that we wanted to do with the story. We did. The tone changed. Um, We were all game together. Uh, Rob Askins is a great new playwright. Not that he's even new. It's just that now everyone's really discovering him on a larger scale. He's been writing for years. You know, I mean, we just opened Hand to God on Broadway. He's just about to open. You know, know. another brand new play. That's probably going to be his next transfer. Um, he's a great writer. He's a very original voice. He's smart and passionate and very unapologetic, but he writes about what he knows deeply. And I love that. Again, I don't see why you go to the theater if you're not willing to go there. And um, our director, Maritz, is an awesome guy. He's so talented, great collaborator, collaborator, creates a great environment in which everyone can have their voice. And, um, you know, I mean, our producers are amazing. I'm not trying to sound, you know, like flowery about it, but this has been a really great, um, it's been a great process. And I think that's why we have a great product.
1: What was opening
0: night like? Awesome. It was great because there was such... Yeah, I mean, night? I wouldn't say like mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't say I get you know you get wired up you get um you know you're you you, you just get psyched. I mean, thing about opening nights because you have to understand by the time opening night comes along, the thing that we are really going to be wired up about the critics coming has already happened. So if you will, we already know that the casket is sealed or not in that. Not that we know. We just know that they've come, they've seen, and the judgments have already been put to paper. Um, So opening night is essentially the celebration of going, okay, we're giving it to the world now. So opening nights aren't so much nervous as the week previous because that's when you know you've got – all of the critics coming in and that's when you know like you really have to be as focused and sharp not that you shouldn't be every night but obviously there's a little bit of extra tension riding on the line and um for me opening nights they're never really about the company they're about everybody that's out there in the house um and they're already odd because it's largely an invited audience of people and it's not a necessarily the most genuine response from an audience. But for us, by the time we got there, I mean, we were already feeling so good about what we were doing. I mean, by the end of our first week of previews, we were really feeling like, because you know, at the end of the day, it is, it's about the audience. It's not about us. It's about them and the response that we were getting from the audience. The way that the audience was participating in the night by the end of our first preview week, we were like, you know, we're in a really good place. We feel that because that's what they're telling us. So in this particular opening night, I mean, I didn't feel very nervous. Um, but for um, Geneva Carr and for Michael Oberholzer, um, and our director and our playwright, uh, it was their Broadway debuts. So that made it, let's say, special. Mm-hmm. Because you play, these are people. I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: You, you play a priest in the show. Are you a religious person yourself?
0: I play a pastor. Um,
1: pastor. That's I right. would not
0: sorry. say I am a religious person. Uh, I would say that I'm a spiritual person. Um, it's so funny. I was just watching CBS this Sunday morning, and they were there was a whole thing about people from the South that, you know, have finally sort of come out to say that they're atheists and all of the hardship that they get, you know, from their communities because they openly admit that they're atheists. I uh, am not, I wouldn't say I'm atheist, uh, but um, I'm Jewish. Let's put it that way. Um, Mm -hmm. And I've played um, a minister five times in my career. So there you go. Um, (laughs) I have a lot of respect, though, for people of the cloth that way uh be they um Jewish um I have a lot of respect for that and um I find them to be very interesting characters I think anyone who's put up against their own faith and having to question or test the ideologies that they've carried throughout their lives makes for really interesting theater you know so I now, you- enjoy go ahead
1: um what 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 aspects of your character do you relate to you know how is your character similar or different from you besides you know the
0: religious component well again um I would say the spirituality and the questioning uh I mm-hmm. would say mm-hmm. you know i i I don't know I question myself daily I question a lot of things daily you know am I a good person you know am 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 i am I uh, kind, considerate, do I listen? You know, I think I do, mm. but am I really, or am I now just in my head, thinking I'm really good at it? And it's an audience of one, you know? Uh, I mean, I question myself daily. I question myself daily. So, that is is are one of the things I like the most about the character, because, I mean, that is where he's very much like me. You have to bring your own experiences to a character, I think to make it organic or, or, or truthful, um, which is why I, I mean, my career has been based on playing the foil, if you will, or, or just, I'm always playing someone who's on the edge of something and largely whatever that is, it's, it's genuinely questioning of themselves, you know, and largely their characters that let's see how far they can bend before they break. Um, in this case, you know, like people say to me, oh, it's so nice to see you play such a nice guy. And I'm like, okay, great. And then literally someone will come up to me right after that and say, God, you're so good at playing the fucking creepy guy. Okay. Let me say that again. <laughs> you're so good at playing the creepiest characters. Um, sorry. That's the kind of language there's a lot of in our play, by the way.
1: That's um, okay. That's Okay.
0: But, you know, uh, that to me is the most fun about playing a character is, especially like with the pastor. He lives in the gray. There's nothing black or white about him. I love that, too. You know, shades of gray. Um, I I love that because I don't believe in black and white. I just don't. I don't think anybody's black or white. And I think that people that present themselves that way are the grayest of all. Oh.
1: Yeah, you know, that's really insightful, I and I completely agree. They're, they're hiding yeah. something. Um, yeah.
0: Or, you know, what's even stranger about it is is it's not even the hiding of it. It's just the open denial of it. Like, if you're hiding it, then at least you acknowledge it's there, because you wouldn't call it hiding otherwise. You know? Mm. I'm talking yeah, about people yeah. who stand out there on their moral ground. And openly just deny when you could literally go back a year before and show them a video of something they said, and it's you don't even have to edit it in any way. You don't have to do anything. It's raw footage. You can say, "Okay, you said that a year ago," and they would just shake their heads and say, "Nope." I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a
1: fascinating thing. You still see it with reality TV a lot of right. a lot of times too.
0: Um, you know, and going back to it, politicians you know, who will just Mm -hmm. (laughs) spout this general rhetoric, and then literally you can go back and show them footage where they said the the exact opposite thing. And they'll just shake their heads and say, yep, that's out of context. Out of what context? That's just you talking your mind. You know, you may not want to acknowledge it, and that, I love it. That just, I love that. I mean, I hate it, and I love it. Um. It amazes me. How do people live? Where are they in their minds that they think they can be so cut and dry when clearly life is not that?
1: Well, I would think, I mean, especially in the industry you're in, I think you would see a lot of that. There's a lot of, you know, trying to make the best impression or create something that's not really there, and it's entertainment business. Um, so I would think yeah, that, but that life, would
0: be... There's, mm-hmm there's nothing more entertaining than life, you know? Yeah. Fiction, fiction can never compare to actual life. I mean, we see things every day that if you didn't read it, that it actually happened. You'd say you couldn't have written that. Right,
1: true, You know, and, and
0: that's what's, um, you know, we don't have to, I, I I firmly believe you don't have to try to create an entertainment. You just have to, just just show true life. And there's nothing more entertaining than that. Is it
1: hard to have a social life when you're doing a show you like you are doing now? You know, every night, twice the day time?
0: I mean, it depends. It depends. It depends on, I guess, where you are in your life. I mean, the truth is the theater community is a very small community um, and a very, you know, communal uh, environment. So the fun of where we are right now, like we're on 45th street with the movie theater. I've got lots of friends um, that are uh, over in something rotten and they're just around the corner from us. My buddy, Chris is the star of Matilda He's literally next door. I stick my head out the window and I and I yell for him and he sticks his head out his dressing room window and we talk. <laughs> you know, um, my buddy James is the phantom and, you know, phantom of the opera. So we're texting each other before, right before, you know, the curtain goes up. Um, and we're all like in three or four blocks from each other. So ours is a very small village. So in some ways it's fun because even at work or going to work, allows you to be more social than you might be. Because I'm a homebody. And I'm also married, you know. Thank goodness. I'm married. And my wife and I, my wife Shannon and I, um, like to be at home. We like to cook. Uh, We like to, you know, Sunday nights HBO, awesome stuff. Um, So. What do you like to cook? Oh, gosh. um, Fish. Love doing fish. Uh, Anything with a fish. Uh, Greens. We love Brussels sprouts a lot. There's a lot you can do with those things. Um, You know, uh, we'll get in the cookbooks and we'll try new things. The winter is always better just because the food is a little bit, you know, heartier and a little more complex. But it's just fun, you know. I mean, she'll just come home one day and be like, you know, let's try this or let's try that or, oh, here's a recipe for something I found. And it's nice. It's just – it's great. You know, and nowadays, especially with technology – your wife – Sorry, go ahead.
1: Yeah, your wife – and she's also a broadway actress. Did you two meet through like an industry event or how did you meet?
0: No, we met at the bank. Really? At the, Literally, bank? At the oh, yes. so We met in the line of the bank. We 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 sort of met before. and We knew each other through industry for years. Mm-hmm. But um we actually like first met face to face and sort of um initially got to know each other cuz we were both in the line for the bank. And um, I was—I think I was standing right behind her, and I just introduced myself and like, "Hi, Shannon, Mark," you know. Oh yeah, hi, blah blah blah. Because again, it's a small village art, so it—it's. It's, I always tell people if you're from a small town, New York City's perfect for you because every ten blocks is a small town, and in our oh, business, you know, yeah. everybody knows what everybody else is doing. Um, So we talked and chatted, and then we ended up walking, you know, all the way up the Upper West Side together, and um, that was the beginning of it. But we never worked together until, I want to say, two years ago. So, I mean, we'd been together for 13 years. So my wife and I did not meet in a show, as we like to call them, showmances. That was not our case. (laughs) Um, We met, you know, haphazardly. Um, at the bank, and uh, even though we're in the same community, we really didn't even like have the same circle of friends per se. So, um, uh, when
1: you did ultimately work together, I mean, is it you drive each other crazy because too much time together? Is it a great thing? Something in the middle? Yeah, actually, what was I it? have
0: to say it was it was fun. It was great. My wife was the associate choreographer, and you know, I was one of the stars of the show. Um, so, and I think we are very good at keeping our business separate. Um, like in, especially in a situation like that, because you're talking about being on both sides of the desk, I'm on one side of it. And then the creatives are on the other side. And I think to some degree, they were a little nervous because if they needed to talk freely about what was going on in the show, they knew my wife was there. Um, and of course, you know, she, she, Shannon would always be like, you know, our business is our business. That's not my business to discuss with Mark when we're home. So, um, it would be nice because we would both be in the same work environment, but we would be seeing it from two different points of view. Um, and I mean, my wife is really good at what she does. Uh, so, I mean, she is an incredible performer, but she's also an incredible choreographer. I mean, as I'm speaking to you now, she is in the middle of the Mediterranean installing a new show on Holland Cruise Lines. So, oh, wow. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, um, I got pictures yesterday, 24 hours in Barcelona. I got all these pictures. Um,
1: That's nice. <laughs> it is
0: fun to work together, and we don't drive each other crazy. What's um, one thing we,
1: that we would be surprised to know about you?
0: Um. Let me see. Okay. I, I this is gonna sound. I don't know what this is gonna sound like. Um. I. I don't know. I don't know how much longer I want to be an actor. Um, really? <laughs> yeah. Um. I'm. I love process, I think, more than I like the performance nature of it, although I do love to perform. I'm not interested in an audience liking me. I think most people think that actors want to get up on the stage because they're insecure people that need people to applaud for them. I've been told this by many people, So that's what actors are, and I always say, oh, okay. Um, I don't do it because I want applause. Um, I don't care if people necessarily like me or even agree with whatever the performance may be or the story may be. Um, I'm not, I say all the time, I'm not looking for the big laugh. I'm looking for the big listen. I like a conversation. That's what's fun for me. Um, So I'm not out there, like, and and, and I'm, I'm, I love a story. I like being a part of an ensemble. Um, I'm not, I'm not a fan of center stage I always like to be off of center, um, just because to itself. Um, I don't know. Uh, in some ways, I, I, and and truthfully, when I'm not on a stage watching other people do something on a stage really well, I have no interest or desire to be up there with them. Oh. Mm. You know, wow. if it's really Definitely. like I. I'm I'm enjoying the idea of writing and developing more now. Um, And I think Mm -hmm. that's probably what I've always wanted to do anyway. Um, I love creating, but I think there are people in this industry. I mean, and there are so many talented people in this industry who have a deeper love of being in front of an audience every night than I do. So I love the idea of like I've written, you know, I've, written and had shows produced and there's nothing greater than to see something you've created that you've helmed with other people obviously it takes a village it's not just you right it's never just you but to see something that you've helmed and created and watch other people interpret it very successfully to me is the most gratifying thing there is i think most people would think oh you know like I'm I'm thrilled if I'm not in a show and an understudy goes on and that person is great, if not better than me, I think that's awesome. Especially if I had. Player. Any, well, I just it's it's maybe but or maybe it's the selfishness of of the creation of it less than the performance of it. You know, I have friends that do not want to be out of a show because they don't want to know that someone's done a job better than them. For me, if I've helped to create something and someone else can get in there and be fantastic, there's personal pride in knowing that I helped create that, so that it'll have. Were you always that way? I
1: don't know. Or did you have insecurity when
0: you started out? Mm -hmm. Well, I think everybody has some kind of security when they start out because I really believe that all of us at some point or another are going to question: should we even be doing this? As you know. Should I be doing this? Can I be doing this? I mean, I have these aspirations, but, you know, what makes me better than other people? You know, and and I've been fortunate. I mean, this is my 12th Broadway show. And when I moved to New York, I never had aspirations of Broadway. I didn't sing. I didn't do music theater. I did plays. So all I ever was after was off-Broadway. And I, I, I guess I never really realized that I would have the opportunity to create as much stuff as I have. So maybe a part of the reason I love creation is because I've had that opportunity. Um, But I think that the more I've had the, the opportunity to do it, the more I've sort of learned deeply the thing that I love most. And I also think all of us, you know, like, like I say, there are so many talented people in New York. What is the uniqueness that I have that other people don't? And I think that's something as a, As as any business person, you have to hone in on. And what's been your answer
1: to that question? To yourself, um, what's been your answer?
0: Development, creation and development, process. Mm -hmm. I think I'm just really, really good at it. I think I have a very good eye for understanding the whole play, and that's how I see what my cog in the play is. So that when I have an opinion about something or when there's something that I feel very strongly about, I have deep confidence in saying, I think we're missing this information, or I think we can cut that. Thinking about myself, I'm thinking about the play and how I fit. I mean, and look, if I'm going to do my part in the play, if I'm going to do my cog in the wheel, I'm going to make that cog really, really good, or as good as I can, because other people are relying on that. You know, like I believe you go out there and you give 150, but I'm not giving 150 so people can tell me how great I am. I want to give 150 because I want an audience to walk out of a theater and go, I've never experienced anything like that in my life. 20 years from now, I want them to come up to me and say, I saw you in that. And oh my God, that's one of my favorite things I've ever seen. I think that's what we're doing right now in hand to God. I mean, seriously, 20 years from now, people are still going to be talking about hand to God. That to me is the best reward on the face of the planet. There is. Because nobody's going to remember how many Tonys you were nominated for. Or if you did win, no one's going to really remember for what. They're just going to remember you're great. But they will never forget an indelible performance that you gave that is marked in their minds. They just won't. The emotion you evoke from them or even the inspiration that you invoked from them. I, you know, mm-hmm. I was interviewed by someone who literally said, I'm, I'm a writer now because I saw you in the national tour of Bye Bye Birdie, and that's when I realized I wanted to be in this business. I mean, come on.
1: And I'm not Great saying feeling. I'm like, yeah.
0: you know, the greatest thing on the face of the planet, but seriously, if, you know, I think that we forget as actors, especially on Broadway, how many people we genuinely affect. And the groovy thing about that is, is we're completely unaware and yet we're connecting with each other all the time on a real level, on a physical level, you know. We were in a room together and we communicated with each other and it, it didn't matter if I actually knew directly that it was you or not. It happened. And the fact that, you know, you walk away 20 years later with something like that, and I find out about that twenty years later. Plus,
1: mm-hmm. oh
0: yeah, it's got to be incredible. I just that yeah, anyway. There you go. I'm sure that was a long winded answer.
1: No, it's a great answer. Um, what's one thing you would like to tell your 15 year old self?
0: <clears throat> um, stop planning. <laughs> Don't mm-hmm. plan. <laughs> Don't do it. Because uh, that's all nice for you, um, but, A, you're 15, so stop. Look at tomorrow. Actually, look at three hours down the line. At 15 years old, I don't know that you should be looking at anything more than three hours down the line. But, um, you know, don't be in a rush to grow up. Don't worry about that. Don't miss where you are because it's really kind of cool, you know. Just look at the next step ahead of you and don't worry about anything else. That's the best advice I think you could give to anybody, actually. But especially yeah, to I was thinking
1: that too. Yeah, I mean, it's the advice I try and give myself every day. Be present. you know,
0: I mean, life is what happens, you know, when you're making plans.
1: It's true. It is almost time to go, Mark. But before we do, we have a game I play. It's sixty seconds. I'm going to shoot some questions at you, and we have sixty seconds to get through as many as we can.
0: Are you ready? Oh, sure. What's
1: playing on your iPod?
0: Oh, Punch Brothers.
1: Dream Roll on Broadway. Their new album,
0: Phosphorescent Blues. It's amazing.
1: Okay, cool. Dream Roll on Broadway. You haven't done
0: it again? Oh, Dream Roll Roll on Broadway. Dream Roll on Broadway hasn't been written yet. (laughs) And I have no idea what that means. Yeah, maybe Your I will. Favorite I don't know.
1: vacation? Yeah. Favorite vacation destination.
0: Two of them, Key West and Hawaii. Anywhere in Hawaii.
1: The last show you saw on Broadway.
0: Oh, Something Rotten. Awesome.
1: Morning person or night owl?
0: Night owl. <laughs>
1: I think anyone in the show has to be.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm talking to you now, so I'm sure I'm a hell of a (laughs) lot more (laughs) eloquent in a couple of hours.
1: (laughs) Carb load or carb avoid? Say that again? Do you carb load or do you carb avoid?
0: Oh, somewhere in the middle. Somewhere in the middle.
1: What are you most grateful
0: for? Now, just now.
1: Oh, mm. perfect. Me too, and that's 60 seconds. Go see Hand to God at the Booth Theaters on Broadway right now, and find out more about Mark at Mark Kudish, net. Mark, thank you so much for being with me today. It's been a great conversation.
0: Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Nice way to spend the day.
1: I'm Erica Finn. Thanks for listening, everyone. Please follow us on Twitter at Erica Finn for photos, inside scoop, and details on our next show. Good night, everyone. We'll see you all next week.
0: You have been listening to The Erica Finn Show. We would love to hear from you. Contact the show with any guest requests or comments at the Erica Finn Show at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter.